Hello everyone, Redcoat here. And Zinger joins him. And we've got another podcast for you. Today, we're going to talk about music and games. This is going to be a fairly broad discussion of the use of music and games in general, as careful and intentional use of music is a powerful but easily neglected or misapplied part of games. Indeed, this aspect can be a more neglected part of a game's design as the breadth of intentionality is not necessarily brought to bear on the subject. Moreover, save for in games where the music is inescapably associated with the core of the gameplay, music theming and execution can often be an afterthought to the game's overall identity as a title. With that said, we're not going to be talking about explicitly rhythm-based games, such as Guitar Hero or Elite Beat Agents, in this cast. Rather, we're going to be focusing on the use of music as a means of accentuating the composite experience of video games when applied in less music-focused games. Yeah, the music part of the audio part of the odd and narvazod. Right. There's a reason why the odd takes up a whole third of the word narvazod. It is extremely important to creating a composite experience, and does wonders when it comes to maintaining and directing a player's suspension of disbelief. Music in particular plays a big role when it comes to enriching the gaming experience through sound. So what kinds of roles can the music play in creating a soundscape that enriches the player experience? There are quite a few, but in our intellectual posturings and examinations, it seems that music's role in video game experiences can be split into three jobs. Setting the mood or creating ambience, alerting and informing the player about mechanical events, or creating emotional continuity through musical consistency. So let's jump right in and talk a bit about the concept of mood and ambience management through music. There are a lot of elements that go into making a video game world feel the way that it does. While the visual stylings have a lot to do with it, the audioscape does as well. Music, or the lack thereof, plays a very important role in creating that audioscape. Ambient sound effects also play a big role here, and the way they interact with the music is also important. Consider the differences in how Hyrule Field in The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time feels between night and day. During the day, you have the boisterous Hyrule Field theme that inspires exploration and adventure. But when night rolls around, the music ends with a wolf's howl, and you're left with ambient nocturnal sound effects, night birds and crickets mostly. This creates a lower energy atmosphere, something more intimate and restful. Then morning comes with a rooster's crow, quickly followed by a morning theme that leads into the grand adventurous Hyrule Field theme. This audio cycle does a lot to make the space of Hyrule Field feel very different at different times of day, and adds to the sense of a long, grand journey. It also helps gameplay not feel monotonous when you're journeying through Hyrule Field, a place you visit many times, by causing it to feel very different at different times of day, as will be inevitably experienced. Super Mario 64 uses a similar idea with its various area themes, with a particular mention going to the very first play area of the game, where there is only the sound of birds and the waterfall, creating a sense of peaceful anticipation, as neither the adventure nor the music has really begun. It isn't until we enter into the mezzanine of Peach's Castle that we get any actual musical ambience. This is where the real game begins. What's interesting here is a particular choice made later on in the game, where the player enters into a courtyard and we revert to musicless ambience. At this point, the player has become used to having music playing in the background at all times, so this change is almost immediately noticeable, although some might not immediately realize what has changed. It suggests that something is different, that something about this area is out of place. Sure enough, this is the only area in Peach's Castle where you can encounter enemies, specifically ghosts. In this way, the instinctual something-is-not-right emotion 
that comes with hauntings and similar situations is achieved in a very subtle manner. Now, we have been choosing Nintendo games as examples, and for good reason. Nintendo pays a lot of attention to their use of music and sound effects, but they aren't the only ones. From Software is very careful about their use of music in the Souls series, choosing to restrict it to boss battles, the main hub, and the credits. This gives these areas special significance, while the musicless rest of the game feels that much more desolate. It also makes things like the Milfinitas singing in Dark Souls 2 feel that much more impactful, as having music in a zone is so rare. Guild Wars 1's music does a lot to augment and set the mood of areas. The music that plays in the Shiver Peak Mountains, for example, reminds me of snow falling and cold, emphasizing the feeling of those places. The music that plays in Pre-Searing Ascalon feels hopeful and peaceful, a stark contrast with the music that plays after the Searing, which feels empty and desolate. This musical contrast greatly contributes to the contrasting emotional spaces of these areas. In general, music can be used to greatly affect and direct the emotions of the player, giving them an idea of what feelings are attached to any given area, thus making them that much more real in their minds. Be it the adventurous and hopeful field music of Tales of Legendia, or the shady funk of Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne's Demon Cities, a good backing OST can do a great deal to grant the player emotional context, making them that much more engaged with the title. The next role we want to talk about is more mechanically tied. It's a role we're calling alerts, because its job is to let the player know that something different is going on. Probably the prime example of this is battle music that plays when enemies are near. Note that this applies primarily to games that have a continuity of gameplay, not for ones that have a separate battle stage. Those songs fall into the next category, which we'll talk about shortly. The important thing about this role is that the music changes in some way to let the player know something is going on. While it probably has some emotional significance, it has gameplay significance too, making sure that the player has important information, such as enemies are nearby. And while these alerts could be handled as just sounds and be serviced that way, utilizing musical cues to convey these alerts helps maintain a certain level of cohesion for the overall experience, as the alert no longer has to compete with the music of the game, but rather merges into it, enhancing the emotional context of the scene while at the same time serving an important functional role. One of the best examples of this again comes from The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, as enemy proximity is indicated by a specific underpinning of trepidatious chord progressions that get louder and louder as enemies get nearer to the player. In later titles of the series, the music is often used to indicate points in time when the enemy is vulnerable, or even when bosses change their tactics. Another powerful example comes from the Sonic games, the drowning music. That is alert music that has a very panicked emotional mood to it, and does a great job of getting your attention and letting you know that Sonic needs air now, yet does so without being an obnoxious alarm. After that, we have the final job, which is imparting emotional continuity through musical context. The execution of this idea, commonly referred to in musical composition as leitmotif, is essentially reserving a theme or musical concept for a specific character, situation, or idea, thus calling said character, situation, or idea to mind whenever the theme is played. In layman's terms, it means giving a person, place, or thing an awesome theme song. Yeah, we've been calling this role anthems. Think of, for example, a school anthem or a national anthem. When you hear the Star Spangled Banner, you think of the United States of America, for example. The same thing goes on with music that fits into this rule in games. At least, it does if it is recognizable enough, and the developers take care to associate it with the thing it is supposed to refer to. Right. As just placing the song in random locations will cause the theme to lose context, thus making it just a cool song, rather than Awesome Dude's Anthem. Or Ode to Jerkwad. Exactly. 
That brings to mind one of the concepts that comes with the idea of anthem association. You see, just as the song's association with a subject will influence what ideas people associate with the song, the elements of the song's composition will influence what ideas people associate with the subject or character that the song is attached to. For instance, the overtly heroic, hopeful, and somewhat corny tone of Captain Falcon's theme in F-Zero GX tells you everything you need to know about the character without even looking at his basically non-existent backstory. It says, He's cool! He's awesome! He believes in you! Do you believe in him? Falcon Punch! Whether you think all of that or not is up to you as a player, but that's what the music wants you to believe. For some reason, this topic makes me think of the song that plays whenever Gary Oak, or Blue I suppose, from the Pokemon games is on screen. Whenever you hear that song, you just know that the arrogant Gary is about to show up. It always, and only, plays when he is around, which is a great way to attach a song to someone. Speaking of Pokemon, there's also a musical cue that plays whenever a battle is about to begin. Then, there are different themes that play during the battle depending upon how important it is, such as regular battle music versus gym leader music. A lot of RPGs that break out into specific battle arenas like this have battle music that plays in their arenas. If you recall, I mentioned earlier that this type of battle theme isn't an alert because it isn't alerting you to anything. Rather, it is an anthem for combat, by which I mean it has no mechanical significance. That's why these battle themes are anthems rather than alerts. And we can't talk about anthems without mentioning one of the game types that relies the most heavily on them, fighting games. In these games, character is one of the biggest elements that defines their creative space, both in Narvazod and mechanics. In that light, one of the most immediate ways to convey a character's essence is through their theme song. The Guilty Gear series is notorious for this, emphasizing its heavy metal theming by granting every character in the game their own unique theme song, and then having specific themes associated with important character rivalries that play when those characters have matches together. Without spending any time reading up on character backstories or playing through the arcade and story mode of the game, character traits, relationships, and sometimes even character arcs are conveyed through the effective use of contextual anthems. We've now talked about the rules of music, which tells you the where and why of using music, but we also need to talk about the hows of using music. There are a number of important things to think about as you use music in your game, and you can be more effective with it if you use it well. One of the more interesting things about music in games is the fact that the play experience can greatly affect execution and composition of the pieces employed. Allowing the music to be affected by the moment-to-moment -moment play of the game is a great way to help maintain and control your player's suspension of disbelief while also facilitating the provocation of specific emotions you want to draw out of your player. Right. Because a game is in real time, you can dynamically choose what music to play, or even blend, in response to what's going on in the game. Something else you can do in games that is pretty cool is set up songs to sort of dynamically write themselves. This is something that some games have aspired to do in the past, some more successfully than others. It's a difficult thing to do in a manner that creates something that is pleasing to the ear, as the player is not required to take actions in rhythm, which can muddy the waters when attempting a dynamic OST. One approach that can be taken towards creating a dynamic OST would be to build the song in layers, creating various musical patterns and motifs that you then associate with players' actions or broader situations. In the case of more complex compositions, my suggestion would be to focus on situations more than actions, so as to allow the music's rhythm to be defined beforehand as something that plays constantly underneath. By doing this, the composition of each of the individual motifs have a musical frame within which they can vary, applying different chord progressions, rhythmic patterns, or even key changes if you're feeling shifty. If you do it right, you can keep the music interesting and engaging without destroying your player's ears. 
If you want to have the OST specifically react to player input in a more immediate manner, a minimalist style might be the way to go, as this allows the player actions to create the OST, with what few beats and notes you have playing not competing with the sounds that the player is making. You might program it such that the game's actions naturally create a rhythm of their own, as once the player starts doing things, the actions are built in a way that makes them naturally create an organized beat. At any rate, both of the types of dynamic OSTs I've just described can be categorized as reactive compositions. One of the many things that the composer needs to take into account when making reactive compositions is the natural rhythm of gameplay. But there is another way to create a dynamic OST. A different type of dynamic composition is a randomized one. The idea with this is that you want your music to have a specific sound, but you want to avoid it becoming too repetitive. Perhaps because the area it is associated with will be one that the player spends a lot of time in, so they'll be hearing that particular song a lot. While you could write a really long song, doing so has its issues. For one, that takes a lot of time to make. Another is that it will take up a ton of space, both in memory and on disk. This is where a randomly composed song can make a lot of sense. There are different specific ways to approach implementing this. One possibility is to create pieces, kind of like links in a chain, that all fit together. It'd probably be a good idea to make different layers, so maybe a percussion layer, a melody layer, a bass layer, and an accents layer. Then create your different pieces, links in our chain metaphor, then put them into your system and tweak things until they create the sort of song you want. Regardless of how you do this, you'll definitely want a very robust music engine to handle it. Another thing to keep in mind when creating the tracks for your game is how you intend to transition the individual songs that comprise the soundtrack between each other. There are elements of this in dynamic OST composition, as you have to decide how you intend to introduce the individual dynamic elements of the composition. However, this is still important on the broader scale, as utilizing varying musical tunes can help keep the player engaged with your title. Now, if you recall our podcast last week on transitions, we discussed various ways of, well, transitioning from one game area to another. Those same sorts of concepts apply to music and games as well. Therefore, you need to ask yourself how obvious you want your transitions between songs to be. For example, the You Have Triggered a Battle song that plays in the Pokemon games is extremely in your face. The overworld music immediately stops, and you get the tension-building introduction to the battle song that plays in anticipation of the fight that will start as soon as the screen transition finishes. To look at another approach to handling musical transitions, let's look at the more masked transitions that happen in both Fire Emblem Fates and Fire Emblem Awakening. As tactics games, each battle in the game has two visual spaces in them. The map, which I like to call the theater of war, and the combat cinema, which I like to call the stage of combat. Traditionally, games in the Fire Emblem series employ an overt musical transition when going between these two visual spaces, having a song for the combat cinema and an expressly different song for the map. Fates and Awakening are different, however, in that they utilize two very similar songs for the map and combat cinema, and use a technique called crossfading to transition between them when the game transitions from map to cinema and cinema to map. Crossfading is the concept of gradually lowering the volume of one musical element or song while raising the volume of another, thus maintaining a contiguous experience as you transition between musical ideas or tracks. The use of this technique in Fire Emblem Fates and Awakening makes it seem like one very elaborate song is playing throughout the entirety of the battle, when in actuality, there are two that are essentially tagging each other in and out. So, consider how you move from one song to the next, and do so with the understanding of what impact your method of transitioning has on the player. And remember that silence is a valid music track. There are actually numerous reasons why you might use silence. Remember that music is part of your overall audio landscape, and it has to share space with sound effects and dialogue as well. 
If you try to have too much audio going on at once, things can become muddy and indistinct as all of those different sounds compete for the player's attention. In other words, you need to be careful about audio clutter, much like you have to be careful about visual clutter. Sometimes you have something you really want the player to focus on. To do that, you have to make it stand out compared to everything else. While there are a lot of ways to do this, the most effective is through isolation. As an example of what I mean, let me share with you something I do on Sundays. I do audio mixing for my church's worship team, which is basically a band that plays songs at the start of the church service. We mostly have guitars for instruments. We also have vocalists singing lyrics. The vocalists are the important part, as we want to focus on the words. Now, usually, we have a male vocalist. When he is singing, I have to be very careful with mixing the guitars and his voice, as they tend to be in similar sonic ranges, which means they can get lost in each other. I can only make something so loud before it is too loud and becomes just noise. Now, sometimes we have a female vocalist sing. Her voice is at a much higher pitch, so it is no longer competing with the guitars. This makes it much easier to hear her voice amongst everything else. Much like in Sienter's experience with real-world sound mixing, games greatly benefit from the management of the various audio frequencies that they employ. In particular, the idea of managing just how many audio frequencies you're using and which ones you want to be the focus of the player's attention can do a great deal when it comes to managing the player's emotional experience. Take the progression of sound management that happens when a boss is defeated in Mega Man X3. When X is fighting a boss, an energetic, intense tune plays as the battle rages. The audio experience at this point is very dense, with all of X's attack sounds and the boss's attack sounds clashing with each other to make a very exciting experience. However, as soon as X lands a finishing blow on the boss, everything stops. No sounds, no music, no anything. There is a brief pause as the player is allowed to realize that they have just finished the fight. Following this, the boss begins to combust as small explosions begin to appear on them at faster and faster rates, gradually filling the audio space. This continues for a brief period as the screen fades to white and the boss in question fades out of existence. Once the boss is fully faded, there is a brief moment of silence before the victory music begins. The selective control of the audio space grants just a little more weight to the defeat of each boss, allowing the player to bask in their victory for a moment before returning to gameplay. This sort of idea is present in all sorts of games and can greatly affect the weight of individual events during play. Just remember that sometimes the most effective thing you can do for a scene or event is granted a moment of silence. So we've talked about a lot of stuff when it comes to implementing music in video games. There are a number of benefits that come from doing this implementation well. And when I say implementation, I mean both how you use the music as well as the composition of the music itself. We want to close this podcast out by briefly going over a few of these benefits. There are a lot of benefits overall, but I think we can encapsulate them in a few statements. Firstly, utilizing music effectively can grant you much more ability to convey emotional concepts and ideas to the player in ways that are unobtrusive to the overall gameplay experience. Additionally, proper usage of music can greatly aid the player's immersion, providing subtle cues and alerts that don't interrupt the player's experience. Having a strong and effectively used musical presence in your game can enhance the overall cohesion of your game providing an unspoken emotional through-line in the audio space. Finally, a really well-made and well-executed OST will grant your game an increased level of memorability, as the iconic songs and sounds from your game will call people back to the experience they had, and may in fact enhance the play due to the recognizability of those tracks. There are a few situations that can lead to songs being more likely to be remembered than others, by the way, so it is probably a good idea to focus a bit of extra effort into them. 
Situations such as the very first song that plays when the player first starts actually playing the game, such as E1M1 from Doom or Green Hill Zone from Sonic the Hedgehog. Music that plays in relaxed situations, both actual gameplay as well as menus, such as the Hyrule Field theme that we've referenced endlessly, or the Majula theme from Dark Souls 2. In these sorts of situations, the player's attention isn't generally being tightly focused, which gives them room to really listen to the music. Anthems are more likely to be remembered in general, especially if they're heard often, such as a victory jingle like Final Fantasies, or are connected to something super memorable like a popular character or villain such as Gary Oak. The important thing to remember when looking at making music for your game is that this is one of the most direct ways to elicit emotions from your player. This in mind, music can be a very powerful tool when used properly, and the methods of executing it properly should be a part of every game designer's repertoire. That said, not all game designers are musical composers. I dare say most of them aren't. In that light, you'll likely be working with a musician or composer to fill out the audio space of your game. In this situation, it is extremely important to facilitate ongoing dialogue about the form and function of your audioscape with your resident composer, as without constant communication and exploration on the part of both the designer and the composer, your game's composite experience will likely not reach its full potential. Also remember that you chose your composer for a reason, and that they are likely far more versed in their area of expertise by virtue of time spent studying and executing on it. To get the most out of them and their experience, you must listen to and consider their advice and let them experiment a bit as development proceeds. In doing so, you may find that they arrive at ideas and implementations that you may never have otherwise. With that, I encourage you to always consider the sonic element of your play space. You may be surprised at what interesting and efficacious ideas arise when you do so. And that brings this podcast to a close. Join us next time when Redcoat interviews me about my experiences with early id software first-person shooters. I'll probably talk a lot about how they impact my gamer and designer sensibilities to this day. Until then, this is Cientier, signing off. And this is Redcoat, signing off. Play the games you want to play, boyos.